So I don't think there are literal underwater basket weaving competitions. I'm sure, well, I'm sure someone has actually arranged one because it's, you know. I know. I, I actually, when I was I'm looking sure this up, happened. I saw, you know, like a picture of a scuba diver weaving a basket. Scotch. <laughs> 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 Hey everybody, welcome to episode 203 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, I'm currently being mesmerized by LEDs. I'm Sam and I make levels sometimes. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is May the Sith be with you. Yes. 20 grind team. Feel the power. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity in this show. So if you uh, have a baby around, just put it somewhere else and then you're good now. Unless it can't process uh, words yet, which I, I think is true for babies. I don't know how babies work. I think they just slowly absorb the words until some certain volume of words has been put into them. And then one of them start coming out. Yeah, yeah one right. of them kind of bursts out. Yep. If you're not careful, it will be a swear word. Yep. Yeah. So you watch that. Or if you are careful, depending on what your goals are. That's yep. true. Uh, we'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. we got a couple of new ones on the line. we Woo. got... Christian Karstrom, who says, challenge accepted, the guy in episode 202 last week, uh, donated $7 he earned from a discount on Levelhead because of the exchange rate. Mm. <laughs> and then you guys said, and he, he wants me to read this in a condescending nerdy voice, oh, this will only ever happen once. <laughs> <laughs> well, I paid the full price, so this doesn't even make sense now, <laughs> but you're welcome. So uh, thank you very much. Beautiful. I appreciate that. Buy level at full price. Throw us a, throw us some extra cash just for funsies. I'll thank take it. I'll take it. Maybe, uh, yeah. Maybe we should change the, the the donation system to the tip jar for our game purchases. You know, instead mm. of being like it's for the podcast, we just say if you if you just felt like you got more than your money's worth out of our gameplay experience. Yeah. Now nah, we open up a second tip jar. Mm, that's a good point. We just need tip jars everywhere. It's kind mm -hmm. of like well, like you got to collect rainwater in barrels. We'll call this you one. Just need, <laughs> you just need tip jars lining the walls. Yeah, we'll call everything. this one game tips. Yeah. Mm. Which won't be confusing to it's anybody. It's not, not confusing at all. At all. Uh, we also got a message from Master Tom NL. Here's some leftover money I had laying around. Hope it's still good. Love your podcast. Came for game dev insights. Stayed for the joy and inspiration. You guys are awesome, and so is Levelhead. Thank you. It's a little Thank stale. I'm gonna be honest. The also, a little stale. Uh, yeah. it tastes a little weird. It's kind yes. of musty. It's got a musty scent. Yeah, to it. I don't know where. Tastes it, like where's it been? Tastes like know. drugs. <laughs> yeah, you know but that's it's true of all money. Exactly. Just, you know. <laughs> Uh, oh, we also, like is this person related to Retro Banana Man NL? Yeah, what's the NL moniker? I don't understand. I don't know. Well, I mean, we we sort of discerned with the Banana Man that it was he's an, not licensed. He's not licensed. Um, so either this is a non-licensed Tom running around. Ooh, that's real dangerous. Didn't get yeah. the, that Tom is license. that kind of what a birth, <laughs> is a birth certificate a license for your own name? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So maybe just maybe he lost his birth certificate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we don't know. It could be Tom, but we don't really know for sure. Yeah. He's not licensed. Um, we'd also like to thank our recurring supporters who just keep just keep hurling wads of quarters at us uh, mm -hmm. just all the time. So that's fantastic as well. Let's talk about life. Spring is here. Oh, my God. It's beautiful. There's joy in the air. There are birds scream singing outside my window at 6 a.m. every day. Yep. The sun is actually coming up uh, around the time people are waking up, and it's actually going down closer to when people are going to bed. Yeah. So nice. day yeah, it, was, it was weird because it, it was also raining all of last week. So it was kind of weird waking up this morning at, uh, you know, kind of like, stumbling out of the bedroom at 7 a.m. And I've, I have blackout curtains in the bedroom, so I can't tell at all how light it is outside until I walk out the door. Mm -hmm. And I walked out, and I was like, is it noon? Yeah, it was <laughs> <blindingly> <laughs> The bright. sun was so bright. Because even in the wintertime here, it never gets that bright, even at noon. Yeah. So so I have a, you know, I think last year I told a story in the podcast about this robin that had took up roost on my back deck yeah and is it robin watch 2019 robin watch 2019 it's back and the best part was that the nest was already there from last year because we didn't touch it we just left it they just used the same nest no it built another nest on top of that oh yeah nest. i mean it, so can't, it's like it a, can't be a lazy it, robin yeah it's like a know? double decker sort yeah. of situation so it's just really tall nest how tall do you think it will get I don't know, but I, I'm really hoping that this year lives a long time, so yep. you can just <laughs> get like a a five year a skyscraper, a skyscraper situation. And, yeah, so she's just hanging out out there, and we can see her. And when I'm getting snacks, I just see her's like three feet away yep. out the door. I what the thought process was? Robin shows up, and she's like, "I mean, I like this spot, but this nest that's that's not gonna mm -hmm. this isn't gonna pan out. Maybe once we the need, nest freezes, it's no good anymore. You know, kind of like meat if you freeze it and then thaw mm -hmm. it, like." 
It's not as good. It's about that freshness, man. Or like a yeah. musty dollar bill. You know, yeah, exactly. you, just, I can't, <laughs> you need a new one. I can't use this. is illegal tender anymore. It's old. But it's good to build sense. a base off of. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, the foundations are strong. Mm-hmm. Yep. You got to just keep going. Keep going. So yeah, the same with if you, if you freeze the meat, it's real hard. You can use that as a foundation also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I will say, so So uh, my wife and I were kind of disappointed at with our, our lawn the past couple of years. It's been kind of brown and not very pleasing to the eye. Mm-hmm. And as a as an owner of a lawn, apparently you're supposed to be like, this grass needs to be you have to care more green and shit like that. Yep. You have to have the greenest grass. You got to have the greenest grass. The greenest, luscious grass. Uh, and then what you do is nothing. You just kind of you just have look it. at it and you're like, that's green. Mm-hmm. I did that. So did you try spray painting it? Uh, we did, but then it got brown. It, yeah, it that died. Happened. Yeah, that makes sense. So that didn't pan out. So so we had some people like you know put some fertilizer and stuff on it last year, and nothing really happened. And we're like, okay. Did you try Propecia? Uh, nope. We just did the fertilizer, <laughs> regular plant fertilizer. <laughs> the thing about Propecia is, uh, it's really expensive to cover an entire lawn That's with probably it. True, yeah. It's also really weird because the grass just grows hair. Which yeah, is just yeah, uncomfortable. It's just a weird hair. The grass stays the same size, and then it's just it's hair, just hair now. which is not. It's really uncomfortable. It's an Wait, is, is the hair look. growing off of the grass, or is it the grass replaced by hair? It's growing off the grass. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you still got the grass. Now you've just got also hair. And then the problem too is like before you mow it, now you got to shave it. So you got to like you really yeah. get in there with clippers. God, but is it that gross. good? Is it that good like thin soft hair? Or is it that horrible? Oh no, thick, it's like, like beard armpit hair. beard yeah. hair. Okay. Yeah, it's not good at all. Although if you oil it, it gets really soft again. Yeah, but I feel like we're kind of getting into a runaway sort of situation because now you got hairy grass and you got to oil <laughs> yeah. the grass. The goal was was you know just, just to have a nice lawn. <laughs> We're yeah, far away fair. from that design attack. Yeah, now I just got a, I got a nice beard on my in my yard, but I don't have a good lawn anymore. Well, spring's fair. here and it did rain for like five days. Wait, so, so this is happened? the problem now. So we we went so we mowed uh you know like as the grass started coming back after winter and stuff. So we we mowed it and then the next week go to mow it and. The grass is so thick because it's been raining for a week. And then apparently this fertilizer, you know, just takes a while, mm-hmm. I guess, to do stuff with. And then the grass gets so thick that our mower literally couldn't cut it anymore. It just gets clogged. Yeah, we, we'd mow, you'd mow for just like three or four feet. And then the mower's like, <laughs> and then it just, <laughs> and then I'd kind of like pick it up. And there's just a, just a mound of sort of damp grass sort of like packed in there. Got to like get a rake, throw it off to the side. So then it took like four times longer to mow, which means I, I can only mow half of the yard. So then the other half, I was like, I'll get to that tomorrow. Guess what happens the next day? It rains again. Ooh, so and then it rained for five more days. And now our grass is a foot and a half tall. <laughs> and it's only been a, an extra week. To be fair, though, because we came over for watching Game of Thrones last night, and it looks great. I don't know why it's everyone's all about lush. the super short grass, because it's really – when you have a big enough yard, it's like it's got this sort of slight waviness. I don't to know it. the deals with grass. It's just like so, I have a different problem with my lawn, yeah. which is just that it's just the fact that I have one. And I've done a pretty good job of not having one. I, do, I keep on encroaching the stuff that isn't grass into where the grass lives, um, but there's still some left. And actually, last year there's there's this there's a vine called creeping Charlie, <coughs> I <don't> know, <laughs> which I, I assume that somebody had <laughs> named that after somebody they didn't like. Mm-hmm. So so creeping Charlie. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Like once it starts, you can't stop him because he's just creeping. He's just creeping. He's just creeping. He's just creeping. But it, he turned out. It turned out he creeped over the winter too. Like Whoa. just like under, just under everything. He was just like creeping. So that then when everything you know thawed and, and things started to kind of grow back and stuff. All of a sudden, the entire fucking lawn is just creeping. creeping. Charlie, it's just creeping <laughs> just in there. And, that's uh, great though, because because like see that's exactly that, it. That's not going to grow as tall. You don't have to cut it exactly. It's so still green. So it's basically killed out. It's it's, it's sort of. Killed out the grass in the places where that it has grown really lush, but it has these cute little purple flowers, and you know, it looks it looks kind of nice. This sounds and awesome. So, yeah, so it's 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 the problem is it also tries to get everywhere else, and so I'm I'm constantly murdering because it keeps everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but as far as the lawn replacement goes, it's pretty nice because then I, then I had the same problem otherwise that after a week of rain, I had a, about a foot of grass where there still was grass, so I had to go like weed whack that part. <laughs> Yeah, and apparently so got, there's Charlie over here just hanging out, and then I got this fucking grass growing just you know, a foot nuts. in a week. Yeah, so apparently this thing about lawns is a newer thing. It started in like the 50s or 60s or something. Mm-hmm. So it used to be the case that you just had an area around your house and nobody gave a fuck. <laughs> yeah, it was just you've got some plants there, and it's there's some green stuff, and you know who cares? Now for some reason it has to be grass. It has to be grass. I don't know it's why weird. it's useless. 
anyway, let's talk about Levelhead. Let's talk about what's happening with the studio. Uh, so Levelhead Daily Build is coming this today. Today, today the day the podcast, podcast is coming mm-hmm. out, so the eighth. Um, so how's that going? What what did that turn out to be? It good. It good. Yeah, it, it hit basically the design specs that we thought it would after playing around with it. Uh, the yeah. only the only special thing we really had to do on the editor side was it was just funny if you if you still had all the editor categories and then like a limited set of items. Yeah, and then like one thing. You'd be like, let me check the enemies tab and you go there and there's just like a single enemy yeah. just sitting there. So we swapped it to there's just a default tab and then the other tab is your sort of uh, basically your featured items. So that's where all of the items for that build come in. Uh, the response has been good so far from the people who've been on the beta branch for the, for it. Uh, so we're going to roll it out and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the daily build is kind of uh, – so, so once a day we pick five items – and then up to seven, depending on some dependencies. Like if the last item is a golden key, then it's like, all right, well, we got to get a golden door in there, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so we may we depending on how how it rolls out, we expand it a little bit. Um, and so then once a day, we just turn that over, and you can build a level using those items and only those items plus a basic uh, set. And then what that basically allows for is is if you're a veteran builder, then you've got just like an interesting set of constraints to work with for it's the game game jam. Yeah, it's like a little game jam. So you you can still just go build a normal level with everything, but actually, it's always more interesting to build stuff with constraints. Constraints, uh, especially so so it's a time limited constraint and it's an item limited constraint. So it's kind well, of well, the time limit only applies in in one sense, which is yeah, which is if you publish it after the timer runs out, then it's still fine. It just won't show up in the list. It won't of, show up in the daily build list yeah. for today, but it'll right. still show up everywhere else. Um, yeah, so that's kind of an interesting thing. And then this also kind of helps us get at uh, – we have a, a small but vocal uh, contingent of players who come into the game and just want to have everything. Mm-hmm. So they come in and they're like, listen, I, I don't know how this game works. I also don't know what any of these items are. But I want but them all. I want all 100 or whatever of them. I need them all thrown at me right now. I don't want a tutorial. I don't want to be taught mm-hmm. anything. I just want to be just thrown into the deep end, into the level editor, and just start making levels. So our our stance on this has been nope. That's how you get garbage. You know, like that's how if if you I think for it, well, it's really it's how you it's how you have a bad time. Yeah, for it, for too long, in my opinion. Yeah, so, there's a very very specific kind of player who won't have a bad time with yes. that, but almost everybody will have a bad yeah. time. So, with that. but almost everybody also will think they'll have a good time with it. Yes, yeah, because people always want to have more stuff. Yeah. but yeah. So the the idea of the daily build then is it lets us kind of poke at that, so we get to. Surface a few of these items that you literally don't have to have unlocked at all in the campaigns, which means you just get to have them. But it's not every single thing and it's not every single day. And so uh, that way you have this limited set you can go play around with and it's a really focused sort of way for us to get that. Which yeah. Is fun, so. so people in the beta branch have been playing around with it, having a great time. I think it's going to go. It's going to be really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've also made some changes to our patch deployment schedule. So I, I think our plan is for those who want to really be on like the cutting edge of things on level head – uh, I guess the more more cutting it. I mean, we're already in early access deploying weekly builds, so you're already mm-hmm. you know. If you want to get cut even more, if you want to get cut real deep, mm-hmm. uh, you can yep. switch over <laughs> to the beta branch of Levelhead, and we have instructions on how to do that in our uh, Discord server. And we're going to be deploying patches into there, uh, probably just every couple of days, pretty much. Yep. So you'll get stuff before everybody else and that means you also get all the all the sweet new bugs and crashes before everybody They're else. Awesome, yeah. Um, It'll still go through our. Internal QA first, though, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, if we do some really minor changes and stuff, we'll just kick them right to the beta branch because yep. that's fine. Um, but anytime we're developing – so this is why like when we developed the daily build, we didn't have anything into the beta channel until the weekend because we had to develop this entire new system and run it through internal QA. Um, so that's that's a thing that we're still kind of experimenting with the pacing on and mm-hmm. kind of learning how that works. But so far, so good. Um, so I just want to talk about what's what's coming up. And level head. Yeah. So we have this interesting challenge that we've been. I think it's a bigger challenge than we anticipated. Uh, and so we're kind of thinking about it as this th- quote three game problem, mm-hmm. which is level head is a brand new IP. So people who come into it for the first time don't know anything about it. They don't know how it works. They don't know what makes it interesting. They don't know how to do all these interesting uh, like movement techniques and stuff. They're kind of bad at the game. They don't know what's bad. They don't know what's good. There's all these different layers, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so we have to teach people how the game works, which is what the campaign is for. You know, you run through the tutorial levels, you unlock the stuff in the editor, we we trickle out the content to you, and then you develop stuff, knowledge over time. So 
So we have that single that that sort of fully encapsulated single player experience, um, and then we have the building of levels, like the the workshop. And so we assume that there's kind of a contingent of players who are really into building. Mm-hmm. And so they uh, they go into the workshop and they're just spending tons and tons of time in there. And the data kind of kind of shows this on our on our back end, which is like uh, most people build levels, but a s- small subset of people build a shit ton of yeah. levels and spend yeah. a lot of time in the editor. And so that side of the game has to be really, really good and very compelling. Um, and then the final piece is playing other people's levels. And they're sort of the social side of having the levels that you published get played and knowing that other people are playing your levels and, and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So that's where things like being able to follow people and then have their levels delivered to you via a subscription comes in. And Getting alerts when your level graduates from the marketing to the tower. All this yeah. Sort of stuff. And yeah. so, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we added the share codes uh, uh, URL feature. So now people are posting URLs into the Discord and stuff, and then people can bookmark uh, each other's levels. And then like when they get home, then they can play down, you know, a playlist of levels that they've bookmarked throughout the day or the discord or something. Um, so, so all those, all those systems are working very well uh, on their own. Yes. And I think this is the, the thing that we have to come up with next. I think is, the, the real challenge with level head is, is weaving all of them together into, into a, an experience that is somehow seamless as it jumps between the different experiences. So currently the campaign, for example, you don't ever build levels, through the campaign. You're not ever basically kicked out of the campaign and said like, Hey, go, you know, try building a level before you come back. Yeah. And the problem there is of course, like we can't enforce that in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. So if, if we had a requirement that you have to build a level and move to the next, the next part of the campaign, all you have to do is just like go in there, just throw some crap down and right. hit publish mm-hmm. and you've technically done it. So yeah. So it's not necessarily the, the, the design problem is not necessarily as simple as saying, well, just force people to do it, right? right. Um, it's, there's a lot more. To there's it. a lot of stuff in there. And so one of the, the major thing we're kind of looking at for this next uh, chunk, kind of like with the daily build, is just saying, okay, so we know we know that a lot of people play through the campaign. We know people you know, take some time and build levels or whatever else. But how do we really somehow uh, integrate all these experiences in a way that's meaningful for people and then also promotes people to go do each one of these things sort of in turn? So I think that's kind of the next – that's the next big challenge. We're not exactly sure what we're going to do with it yet. So we got some ideas, but I don't want to say anything about it because, you know. Yeah. But yeah, the, but the, the question there comes down to, of course, there's a there's a pacing question when it comes to like how much time do we spend developing different features and when do we develop them and in what order and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um is it new game mechanics? Is it social features? Is it, you know, web technology? Like, Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because we, we get, we've gotten the feedback actually coming in through the, the feedback system has been phenomenally good. Uh, yeah. Which I yeah. think was not something we necessarily anticipated. We thought it was going to be not the best. We assumed really we would have good. a huge volume of feedback that would mostly be in the vein of people just being like, my game crashed. Yeah. Which is what often happens. Or just, this didn't work. Without yeah. any explanation. Yeah. Or I don't like this level. But people yeah. have been really good and the suggestions have been really good. Suggestions uh, have been good. People have been very clear about what they think the game needs. And- yeah. There's an interesting bottlenecking issue when it comes down to this idea of DevOps again. Um, so if we have, you know, just basically the three of us as the core team making level heads sort of bit by bit, um, then we run into this interesting issue, which is this, so if you want more levels design, because we want to introduce some new, some of the new mechanics in the game, um, then we also can't simultaneously have new art pieces going in right because right. that's sort of all the stuff that i handle on this side uh and so each one of us basically is our own bottleneck for different parts of the game and so week by week we have to try, try to make the call okay like you know what what seems like the best thing to do this week based on kind of where the where the community is at and where everyone's at right now yeah um and so that's that's i think the most interesting part of it is it's not as straightforward just saying like oh yeah we want more we want more items in the game right now because it's like okay what you can't have Literally anything yeah, else. Yeah, we week, want so. more of everything, <laughs> so. and we, we can only have more of one thing. Yeah, that's what the feeling is. Week. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it's been interesting, and, and I think this kind of comes back comes also to the question of pacing. Yeah. Um, which is as a small dev team, we also have this potentially. So, so people have been commenting on the Steam uh, announcements and stuff in our patch notes and things like that. That that the volume of stuff that we are adding to the game and the, the pacing at which we are we're patching this thing is is pretty wild mm-hmm. uh especially for how small our team is or maybe because of how small our yeah. team is <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. um and so th- there is an interesting question there when it comes to making sure that we don't burn ourselves out yes. and and figuring out how do we establish a good pace so that we can keep delivering content to people but in a way that doesn't sort of crush our souls 
And also in such a way that like what happens if if like maybe I need to get LASIK or something, mm-hmm. which I do. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, if you're out for a week. What happens if I'm out for – yeah, or even just like three days, you know, because uh, it's – a whole patch. Yeah, that's essentially a week's worth yeah. of content right there. Yeah. And so we would need to figure out how to how to prioritize our development such that, that that's fine for mm-hmm. the players and that people don't feel disappointed that like even though for eight weeks we've given a new thing every Wednesday – and then all of a sudden, all we have on a, on a given Wednesday is just like, here's some light optimizations and bug fixes or something. Right. Um, so it's going to be the case that at some point that's going to happen yeah. where we aren't able to just like deliver, you know, Tons four of pages of patch notes every <laughs> yeah. week. Um, and so we, we got to kind of figure that out. But yeah, I think tricky. I think it's going to be completely fine. Yeah. Because would. the when that does happen, that's actually going to happen with with fair frequency because it's not just that problem it's not just a problem of you know if we if we go on vacation or because things like fourth of july are coming up where like mm-hmm. basically no one's doing anything and we're also not going to be doing anything mm-hmm. right uh, and that nukes you know several days and thanksgiving you know if we if we're in early access yep. all the way through thanksgiving nukes literally a whole week and then like christmas you know down yep. there. so also so there are things that are guaranteed to basically to to do that um but on top of that we also at some point we'll need to work on a you know bigger bigger features mm-hmm. that require several weeks even to fully make and test out that we want to treat more as like a release in and of itself so that we don't, we don't actually test it in like small phases with, with the public beta and stuff. Um, and so when that happens, we might have to then just skip a, a patch or two of the stuff that we would normally be putting out mm-hmm. so that we can then have this more substantial, exciting, yeah. substantial, big thing that comes out, you know, downstream. Well, so ch- chances are, chances are it'll be more like, we'll still put out the weekly Wednesday patch, but it'll be more like, here's some yeah, bug, you know, fixes bug fixes and, stuff, yeah. and, and in mm-hmm. ge- general, a sort of low hanging fruit kinds of improvements. I think as long, as long as people don't end up feeling like we've abandoned the game. Well, it's all about communication. Exactly. It's like, Hey, this week, uh, is it going to be a light patch because here's this new system that we're working on. We we think it's going to take one more week. I mean, the fact is that no one by, you know, by spending $20 on the game, nobody has, has made it so that we don't get to go on vacation. You know, yeah, like yep. that, 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 is not, that is not what you have bought with that. You bought a lifelong servant who will yeah, that, is, that is not how that yeah. works. And so, yeah. so yeah, and, and the fact is, like we we love the work and we and we uh, work a lot. So mm-hmm. sure, one of us might take a week vacation, um, but we're probably only going to take one of those in an entire mm-hmm. year. And so, uh, I think people will cut us some slack, and if they don't. Yeah, fuck them. They'll just have to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's crazy. Right? Yeah, that's that's just somebody being an asshole in that yeah, case. And, and there's literally nothing. You've been we can giving do. me 14 straight weeks of 60 hour a week content patches, and I demand one more. Yeah, well, yeah. you'll get it just next week. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it's an interesting note because I think uh, we've been seeing a lot more reports still in the industry about you know other studios doing crunch stuff. Yeah. And yeah. Mortal Kombat Studio, which is Nether Realm. They had a big sort of expose that came out in a couple of different places. It was talking about this exact problem where people were working just in insane amount of time. And they also hire out a ton of contractors uh, and then treat the contractors really poorly. Um, you know, sort of thing where it's like, you know, requiring that either they work 100 hour weeks or they're not going to get a re-up on their contract for the next chunk. You know, yeah. so there's a lot of this stuff that that is happening. And you have to wonder at the end of the day how I think part of it is that for some reason, players of games have like a are just, I mean, they're very intense, right? It's a fandom sort of thing. And so there's always this pressure to do, to, to just as a developer, to do as much as you literally physically can. And and it's not just from like the investor side of things, you know what I mean? Or the, or the public no, side. No, it's about, you, you need to move fast uh, yeah. or because we're, we're talking about a digital, our, our products live in the digital attention space, mm-hmm. which is, it shares the attention economy with, Facebook and Netflix and yeah. YouTube and Reddit and everything else, right? And so if if people get bored of your game because this week something didn't happen or mm-hmm. today something didn't happen, then that person may just be gone now. Like they yeah. may just wander yeah. off and then they just get sucked down some attention vortex and then they're they're just gone. And so this is where you saw uh, with, for example, with, for- Fortnite, with yeah. Fortnite, you know, you, this article comes out about their their culture of just per- just permanent crunch um, because in order to maintain a player base of several hundred million people, yeah. um, you, you have to never give people a reason to look somewhere else. You know, they can never glance off to somewhere and be like, oh, that game looks interesting. No, like you got to keep mm-hmm. all the shiny yep. new stuff in your game, which means just constant content delivery. So – I think it's uh, 
man, it is hard. Yeah, well, I think it's also it the the pace of development versus the pace of of consuming of an entertainment product is wildly yeah. different. And yeah. so, <laughs> so the the idea that you know, because if a new gun well, comes out in a game, it's unpredictable. Yeah. But if a new gun comes out in it, in say Fortnite or something, right? Uh, you can load it up and you can have that gun right now and you shoot and, stuff and you've now experienced that gun. Yeah. <laughs> Just like that. And in a few, and in a few days you could have played with that same new weapon for hours and hours and hours and hours. Right. And, and that, but, but getting that thing in the context of the game to work might've taken a team of who knows how many people, 300 man hours, yeah, exactly. it might a huge number of hours to get in there and, and you get to go just sort of like use it. And you're like, Oh, that was, that was cool. Where's the next one? Where's right? the next gun? Uh, <laughs> right. Two days later, after you've now sort of, you know, quote unquote experienced this, this uh, update. And this is part of the reason why right now we're focusing on some of the systemic development for level head because like the daily, build. like the daily build, the stuff that basically makes it so that we have a bit more breathing room as a studio to then if we said, okay, and people have been asking, for example, for new um, like backdrop pieces for just basically decorative purposes. The problem is what people don't understand usually about those environment pieces is that those are the heaviest art asset to make in the entire game. So right. you want new concrete tiles for the background. So they're like a kind of a cool purpley metal background. It's probably going to take me like four hours, which maybe doesn't sound like a lot of time. But when you look at the context of one patch, it's like that could, that could that's, be that's, uh, three levels. That's like 15% of the work that might exactly. go into the next patch. Because it's also yeah. the case that – you know, we say, you know, go work at 60 hours a week, except our studio is small enough that actually a lot of that is like meetings and planning. Yeah. And uh, like we're we're also expanding our QA team. and We just mm-hmm. spend a bunch of time doing that, you know. And so we, we wear a lot of hats. And so even though our patches that we put out are quite large, uh, it is definitely not the case that those patches represent like all of our work hours. It's yeah. actually closer to like two thirds maybe or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of interesting – considerations yeah well i think it's that's why i'm super happy actually with the structure of level head generally for being an early access game because because of the fact that it's a community oriented and user generated content oriented modular there is actually content coming out every single day that's new just that we're not the ones who have to build it right yeah which is an unbelievable burden off the backs of the developers this is where you when you see games that do really well in early access it's usually i mean there are exceptions but i think it's usually the case that they are games that have some kind of generative capacity so either it's like a roguelike. Procedural in some yeah, way. Yeah, where like thing, get, things are randomly generated. So if you look at uh, like Deep Rock Galactic or things mm-hmm. like that. Or they're games that are heavily built around creation. So Kerbal Space Program or Minecraft or, you know, that kind of thing. Or Levelhead. Or Levelhead. Mm-hmm. You know, one of those. One of those. Uh, they're all basically the basically same the in terms same of sort of mm-hmm. level of success yeah. and, and respect that players give. We're them, still so. waiting <laughs> on that billion dollar offer from Microsoft. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's coming though. I'm, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I haven't checked my email <laughs> this morning. Companies. I assume it's just it's probably in there. Yeah. Uh, so the, I think the other big thing that happened in the industry is that Epic bought Psionics. Yeah, so, which so, is wild. All right, so Psionics is the creator of Rocket League. And Rocket League, I think last week I saw an article that they passed 50 million sales. Not like dollars in sales, but units. unit sales at 20 or something dollars per. Unbelievable. Probably some sales in there, but regardless, it's yeah. a lot of money. Well, and also they sell stuff within the game. So, yeah, so true. At minimum, you know, that's probably a bill, So who knows what the LTV of a user is for mm-hmm. Rocket League, but it's probably at oh. minimum like 15 yeah. bucks. And one thing we know is that that's a pretty good money maker for the platforms that it's on. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you're talking 50 million sales and, and each uh, platform is taking their 30% cut at $20, it's, it's, that's a few hundred million dollars yep. that went into the pockets of those uh, distributors. And so – uh, and it's also been very good for Epic because Rocket League is made with the Unreal Engine. Mm-hmm. And if you sell uh, Unreal Engine games, then you pay a royalty of the of the proceeds back to Epic. And I so, think it's five percent of your cut after the store cut. I believe. I believe like, so. Something yeah. Like that. Um, so Epic also has made a huge amount of money from mm-hmm. Rocket League. And uh, now they bought Psionics, and there there was some some confusion about the announcement, but it seems like. Yep. Based on the veiled sort of uh, ambiguous language, language they, where they're the not double speak. Yeah, yeah, they're not saying they're not saying they aren't going to make it an exclusive. They they didn't. They never said we're going to take Rocket League off of Steam. Correct. What they yeah. said was it will continue to be supported for players who have already purchased it. Yes. Which which means they're not the going to sell it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, because if they if they knew that because they knew that what the backlash was going to be, right? Mm-hmm. So if they knew that they were not going to do it, they would have just come out and said, "Yeah, we are not going to take this off of Steam." Yeah. So so I think I think people's people's belief that that's what they are saying that they are Seems going right. to take it off of Steam is probably all right. Correct. So this is I think 
this 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 is a new level of aggression. I think. It, well, it is, and I think it speaks to a broader point, which is which is I think it really highlights what Epic is trying to do, mm-hmm. which I think Epic is trying to become the place where you buy blockbuster quality, yeah. uh, globally famous AAA games. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what they yep. want to be, and Steam will be the place where you get. Everything. Whatever's left, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that doesn't have a, an Epic exclusive. Um, and apparently this is now, this is kind of like the um, shot across the bow because up until yeah. now, it's been games that haven't come out yet uh, that are getting those Epic exclusives. But it, is, it is, but it was still games that, you know, had a Steam pre-orders. store page and mm-hmm. had pre-orders and that kind of right. stuff. So, so, those, was, so those things were like, they were they were coming to Steam. Yeah. They hadn't gotten there yet or they started to take pre-orders and then they switched over to Epic. Yeah. Now we're talking about Rocket League, which has been out since 2015 or so something like that. Years. Um. Yeah, this is nuts. I think it's, so it's like a four-year-old game that has fifty million sales and it has a global audience, and it's just doing. But it's also really interesting the idea that this is also the first time I've ever heard of a just period of a game becoming exclusive after it was launched. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like there's, there's this whole huge fight before you launch a game where you now have this negotiating power. You can say, if I put my game on your platform only, then now you get a competitive advantage as a platform by having my awesome game, et cetera, assuming you have an awesome game. So now you can negotiate, you know, some sort of a exclusivity deal and everything, you know, so, so it's, it's a, it's a really interesting money-making scenario for all parties well, I, involved, I think, right? I think but now the game's already out. Right. And it's weird to come back to that negotiation table. <laughs> yeah. you know? Well, it's not that the game is going exclusive. It's that the studio is owned by yeah, yeah, right. Epic yeah. now. Well, but I mean, the outcome is the same. Well, right? the, the outcome is that now is that that all future revenue of Rocket League will no longer go to Valve and will instead go to Epic. Yep. Um, if they do this full right. exclusive. Because there's that interesting question of what, like, what does it mean for the game to be supported on Steam? Because if like, let's say, for example, Epic says, hey, Rocket League is free to play now and it's full of loot boxes. Mm-hmm. which it, I mean, it already is full of loot boxes. So now it's free to play and mm-hmm. it's full of even more loot boxes. Um, and they and essentially they tried to sort of switch it to more of a Fortnite uh, which they could do, model, which I'm assuming like, there's no reason why they wouldn't yeah, just no. do that. When you have in-app purchases on steam, do they have to go through steam? They do. They do have to go through it. Okay. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. yeah. So that's the question is like, if they switch it over to the Epic store and then change the model, um, the, the financial model of the game, how does that spill back over to, yep to the steam version of the game or the PlayStation version or any of those mm-hmm. things. Um, cause well, I, I can't presumably see- though, cause you can also, cause if, uh, I'm not sure if Epic lets you attach your steam account to your Epic account or not. Um, but if they do, then they can easily just ask if you own the game on steam, right? And Which just, means you just put it and then just here. give it to you on, on Epic. So it actually would be very easy for them just to basically take the player base away completely. Right. Yeah, so it's <laughs> wild. It's seriously wild. Like we've never seen something like this in terms of store fights. You know yeah. what I mean? It's nobody's nuts. had the nobody's had the resources to do this kind of a thing. You know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, and it's also going to be or the willingness to deal with the public backlash. Yeah, that's the crazy piece of it too. Yeah. So this is crazy. Yeah. This is just crazy. Buckle uh, in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm mostly just kind of excited. Yeah, I'm amused. Because like, it's just I don't know what's gonna happen, but like but so so much of our time has, has been spent just feeling like we're tiny ponds and like mm-hmm. or we're like little tiny boats in this giant ocean of competitors. Yeah. And now all of a sudden they're yeah, now all of a sudden they're actually going after each other. Yeah. And and we can just kinda like just eat, eat some popcorn, popcorn. you know, just <laughs> yeah, kind of watch. Wild. Well, yeah, my my the thing that I'm the most curious about is what is Valve gonna do? Because they've they got to do something. They've been they've been silent absolutely silent mm-hmm. about this whole thing, and they've now that they were silent with the Fallout 76 thing, where mm-hmm. they were they were just like, yeah, we're just not gonna sell through Steam, and then Fortnite not on Steam, and then the Epic Store opening up, Valve says nothing. That 88 percent instead of 30 percent, or instead of a 70 percent mm-hmm. cut, Valve says nothing. Tim Sweeney even comes out and is like, you know. If Valve would change their store cut, yep. then we would just stop to match this. ours. Then we would just literally stop doing exclusives. Mm-hmm. Valve says nothing. Um, Rocket League gets gets bought up. Valve says nothing. Like, what is gonna? What's gonna be the <laughs> they thing? They gotta do something. They gotta. They gotta have something brewing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, because I mean, the fact is that this this is not. This doesn't make their platform look good to not no. be doing anything about this. But it also makes their platform less viable to be losing to be. To be losing, to players. be at least seeming to be losing market share, right? Because because yeah. one possibility here is that despite how enormous Epic is and how effective they are at capturing the exclu- exclusives and stuff, that Steam has the numbers to say actually this doesn't matter to our platform, right? Yeah. That's possible, but they're not telling anybody that. Yeah. So now now we as developers who are trying to figure out where can we sell our game, right? Uh, 
if we're, you know, we're already on Steam, so this is like kind of a moot question, but if we were a different developer with a game coming down the pipe and we had the opportunity to go try to like lock down an exclusive deal or whatever, and, and we're looking at this, what's going on right now, right? Then what we would see is basically Steam getting beat up on and doing nothing, yeah, right? Uh, with a way worse deal, apparently for me, right? Versus Epic, who may give me an exclusivity deal where they actually give me a whole bunch of money mm-hmm. uh, and are also the ones that seem to be kind of like taking taking over here. And Allison, the question starts to get really interesting is, is how do I go over there? Especially when you when you discount the value that Steam provides in terms of, of its uh, discovery system and its infrastructure. Oh, yeah. um, because I think it's one of those it's one of those value propositions that that is it's it's sort of it's just like taxes, right? It's like we pay a lot of money for taxes, mm-hmm. but that's also the reason that we have things like public schools and roads, roads and all kinds of stuff, right? Uh, so so you you get something with that, and of course you also get a whole bunch of stuff you don't want um, because we none of us get to choose where that money goes, right? right. Uh, and so it's not all just for you; it's it's kind of for everybody. It's for some sort of generic system, and that's the same deal with Steam. It's like yeah, you're you're basically getting paying this really heavy tax um, that's going into development of the system that is supporting your game. Um, but what you get in return uh, is is it's very hard to really understand it and to understand its impact on your success, mm-hmm. right? And w- one of the things that we – I don't probably I don't know if we can go into any numbers or not, but one of the things that was interesting with the level head early access launch was on the one hand, early access stuff is suppressed on Steam. So then it felt like Steam was not not really getting their money's worth as a consequence, right? But on the other hand, they put up a banner or they put up a pop-up ad yeah. for us, right? Which – by far and away was the the biggest the thing that could biggest have happened. thing that could have happened and drove you know like we also spent a whole bunch of money on Facebook ads and mm-hmm. we have our our Ballyhoo newsletter that goes out to a huge number of people like we have all this other stuff and they didn't and register on the graph yeah it didn't even register on the graph it was yeah. only like Steam was the thing that did it so when, so when you see them like that and you're like okay now as a consequence of that Steam takes thirty percent of our money like seems fine that yeah. seems fine that, that <laughs> seems like honestly totally that fine. seems totally fine because they to me they basically earned right. earned their keep in that but there were also right? 40 something other games that came out the same day that then didn't, didn't have that exactly up. yeah so so i think it's it's this interesting question whereas if 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 the when the system works for you yeah then then you're like yeah then it feels then it actually feels fair when it doesn't of course it feels unfair but the interesting thing here is that the 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 epic model um is not scalable yeah, of just like Correct. take a game, throw a fuck ton of money into it and have it as an exclusive. Or even just put it for sale because the truth is as, as the store gets more – like so as a developer, you wouldn't even necessarily need to be offered a, a deal right now. Yeah, because it's a uh, store because the numbers that people are showing, like 300,000 units sold within like a week or two yeah. being on Epic, that's great with the store cut in there. That's phenomenal. And so – you don't actually need to be paid by Epic to go to no. make it be a good deal to go on. But that'll only be true for you know as long as it takes until they open up the floodgates on yeah. that store. And well, so, I, I don't. And know. if they don't open up the floodgates, then you then you as a as a regular old developer can't oh, yeah, get in there anywhere. Yeah. I don't know if you could say that it's not scalable though, because scalability is all about the the audience. Like the audience is scalable as long as as long as the business model keeps attracting more and more people, um, then. Because essentially what, what Epic needs is to routinely have the top quality games available, mm-hmm. but in a way that means that you don't have to sift through a thousand bad Other games ones, to yeah. find them, right? Because yep. um, that's kind of the chief complaint that people have on about every store and that they don't have mm-hmm. about the Epic store, right? It's like you could go into the Epic store and just throw a dart and just hit a random game and probably have a really good time with it yeah. because it's yeah. completely curated. And I think that's the thing that they're trying to do to separate themselves out, which means uh, if they keep attracting more and more players, all they have to do is just keep having a nice rhythm of of yeah. curated, really high quality. But what games. that does mean is that is that does shut out your average indie developer completely yeah, exactly. from that market. But but it's scalable for them. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. scalable for them, but it's not yeah. it's not scalable for the rest of us, actually. No, it's certainly so, not. It's quite bad for us, actually. It's, yeah, it's actually quite bad for us because because <laughs> we can't get in there. And so mm-hmm. so so the thing that's missing from this whole And if we if we all could get in there, it would also be bad for us because now we're all in there. Yeah, <laughs> it would just it would have the same problems as Steam has again, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I think it's an interesting thing that I've seen that is completely missing from all the discussions about this stuff is is the fact that that this model basically can't it can't work for everybody. It just can't. And everybody's yeah. talking about it as like, why isn't Steam basically doing this? And like, well, you know, what this is just where we have to go now. It's like, no, this is gonna work great for uh, for some people. It's mm-hmm. gonna work fucking fabulously. And the rest of us are gonna be basically like our only place that we can go is Steam, which again can do really well for us. But if if Epic is stealing all of the top AAA titles and then therefore stealing the audience, then that actually means that the rest of us are get, have a smaller and smaller pie, on, you know, available on Steam even that we have access to. Yeah, I mean, this this totally reminds me of the kinds of conversations that we have about developing systems in Levelhead, just mm-hmm. in the sense that that when you're 
developing a large, complicated system that that people are developing content for and putting things into, and you and you have people on both sides of the equation. You've got creators and you've got consumers, right? Mm-hmm. So in the case of level, it's people building levels and then it's people playing levels. And uh, what is what seems really good for somebody on one side of the thing yeah, may actually disastrous. create a terrible experience yeah. for people yeah. on the other side. So. In the case of having a, a store, for example, that's completely open and anybody can upload stuff, you think to yourself like, well, as a creator, that's great for me because I want to upload my stuff. I get a shot. Yeah. Um, and then as a – so then as a consumer of the things, this is terrible because now all of a sudden you can't find the th- – even though there's a lot more stuff, uh, you now have to wade through just a mm-hmm. pile of it to get to the thing you want. And then as and a there weird – There might even be good stuff that otherwise couldn't have been there. Right. But – but you're so not going to find it. Find it. Yeah. And then on top of that, now you have this this sort of circular side effect, which is now it's bad for creators again, right? Like, yep, yeah. like you do a thing that was good for creators, but because it's bad for the consumers, now it's also bad for the creators. Yeah. Because um, everything is is interconnected. So. But again, only, only subsets, right? Because I think the problem is like there aren't just creators, right? Yeah. There's creators of content that it basically like – is financially viable and content that is not. And then once you're in the financially viable category, there's a huge stratification of just how viable yeah. that thing is. Yeah. And so the fact is it's, it, it was not good for developers who are making stuff that nobody would buy. It never, it was it not good. Been. It will it's never always be good. been hard for those. It's always been hard and it will <laughs> continue to be hard. And now sure you can put your stuff on the platform and then it's easy to be upset because like steam didn't sell that thing for you. Right. Um, but that was just, that was never going to happen and cannot happen. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think there's, there's, there's too, too little nuance in the discussion of like the benefits for developers of all this stuff and like whether or not Steam is earning its cut and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, I think people are just not paying enough attention to the fact that most stuff that's, that's going out on Steam is bad. And so most of the creators that are making stuff are making stuff that cannot be sold. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, to new, to any reasonably sized audience. So and this know. is, and this is going to, well, this also is part of the ecosystem of these uh, engines. So Unity, Game Maker, Unreal mm-hmm. Engine, whatever. Like, um, as, as it becomes easier and easier to make games, uh, it becomes easier to make throwaway games, right? Well, like a game where like you can make a game over a weekend um, and then drop a hundred bucks and put it up on Steam mm-hmm. if you want to. And so because the barriers keep getting lower and lower, uh, then the investment gets lower, which means the risk is lower mm-hmm. so that you think to yourself, all I have to do is make like a hundred bucks on this game and then it's worth it for me to put it up on steam. Mm-hmm. And you don't think to yourself, but would this make the ecosystem of steam worse for yeah. everyone in the yeah. long run? Right. And would it come back? No, like you don't think about that. Uh, so it's like the tragedy of the commons kind mm-hmm. of a situation. Uh, so that's all very interesting. Well, we'll see where that goes. Yeah, yeah. We'll keep an eye on it. What's so, it all going to mean? Uh, let's get on to questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net, and we uh, are taking it upon ourselves to answer the highest upvoted question every week. What we got this time? So this time, uh, we actually have two that are pretty related. One of them is highest upvoted from Vic is Thick. Will GR18 be added to the mural at bscotch.net slash podcast? So we have our podcast uh, box art. And mm-hmm. Zivix asked essentially the same thing, but he also said that he wanted to see a pop jaw in there as well. Uh, so <laughs> we now we have like, yeah, we got the quadrupus, we've got flux, mm-hmm. we've got. This is the problem with, you know, making a piece of art to celebrate something is if that thing can change over time, mm-hmm. you know, then yeah. Then it's just, maybe when we launch fully level head, yeah. we can have the box art. To me, it's still cooking. It's still very much in dev, so. GR18 has not graduated yet in, That's yeah. into the mural. We'll need to, it's what we'll need is we need a box art that has GR18 in a little graduation cap. Uh, <laughs> I as, did it. <laughs> yeah, that could be good, actually. Yeah. yeah we, launch, we, haven't actually, day. we haven't actually talked about what the ending of the campaign would be, but I assume it would be some kind of a graduation ceremony for GR18. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Since it's all about trading your GR18 mm-hmm. to deliver packages. Uh, next question comes from C Price. Would you guys ever consider doing a level head user created content stream? It would be cool to see some of the devs react to the interesting and garbage levels out there. <laughs> or why you guys try to beat them in co-op mode? It would be fun. We've talked about doing a co-op one in particular because co-op is hysterical. Mm-hmm. And also uh, none of the levels will have been designed for that. Yeah, there's only a few, actually there's only a few yep. two player levels that have come out, two plus player levels that come out. Because yeah. of course it's harder to publish them because you need two people around. Yeah. Well, it's also harder to get people to play them because two people have to be able to play it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. One of the things that we did talk about, which we we haven't landed on anything, so this is just you know conjecture or whatever, um, is is in certain time intervals, uh, collecting video snapshots of some of the cool things that the community has made, and then putting together some kind of like a 
like a video montage or like something. A highlight reel basically from last month or something. Yeah, because I think it'd be really cool if you know you go to the Steam page of the game or something, then you can see a highlight reel of all the cool sh- the cool shit that the community has put mm-hmm. together. Um, because I th- I think we we were discussing this last week about like how do we win people over, uh, like and make them take the plunge into jumping into an early access game because it's so easy to get burned by an early access game. Mm-hmm. Um. And we think that we have something that's a lot more stable than your typical early access title uh, in terms of just like how few bugs and, and issues the game has and, and is a huge value proposition. So we just have to convince people. So what we have to do is, is create that FOMO. Yep. Like we have, to, we have to show everybody who's just watching the game how much fun everybody is having who already has the game. And yep. so try to come up with those kinds of things. I think the, the trouble with doing a stream – is that we are not sort of like real time entertainer like I think YouTube doing, personality? Yeah, well, doing a doing a YouTube video where you can slice it down is the best because it you can control the pacing on the editing side as opposed to having to do the pacing live. Yeah. Right? So, so like when we played when we did the play through of the Shenanigan Jam mm-hmm. um, uh, games, then that was that was like that where it was forty minutes I think, and I sliced it down to like ten. Yeah. So when we're make when we're playing these games and stuff, yeah, we're we are uh for at least three quarters of the time just kind of being like pretty chill and mundane about mm-hmm. it. Um which doesn't make for maybe very good stream. Yeah, but I, I do think it'd be really fun to do a because I've been playing through them, of course, when I do the community spotlight and stuff and I bookmark stuff throughout the week as I see it pop up on Discord and play it. And it it is very surprising the stuff that's being built almost almost without fail. Every single time we pop in there, I'm like, what? Yeah. happening. Yeah. So, and we have our community spotlight going out as well where we highlight mm-hmm. um, those things. I've seen some pretty spectacular pinball machines. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, mostly pin- mostly watching uh people on Twitch play play them. Um but like but really extensive. You know, just like <laughs> yeah. with with a lot just a lot of stuff going on that it really just truly feels like a pinball machine. Yeah. So that's kind of been a fun genre. It's too fun. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then we also now have a new genre which is the raceway, which is people mm-hmm. who made a level concept that was started by Retrofile TV. Um, as this concept where you do three laps and the, the essentially around a track and it changes every time. And each lap you go through, you go kind of go through a one way gate where you got to hit a, a lock switch and sort of like activate some new set of things on the track. And then also once you hit all three switches, which means you've done three laps, then it teleports you to the end and you, you win. Um, and so people have made a bunch of variants on that and it's just been really crazy to kind of see really these kinds fun. of things. Yeah. Yep. Uh, next question comes from Ronk Donka Grinmail. Hey, so bu- buckle up. <laughs> Seth mentioned some physics changes uh, he recently made to level head that boosted performance something like 9 million times. I might be off a little. Could you touch on what changes were made? It's neat to hear the magic that goes into game dev. Thanks. Well, you also this weekend optimized saving. Yeah, well, I was. So I, I'm often just, yeah, times. I'm often just lurking, uh, sort of in the discord and just like seeing the, even if I'm not like engaged in the conversation, I'm just kind of seeing the kinds of things that people are just making these kind of like offhanded mm-hmm. complaints about where they're, they aren't actively like seeking a solution, but they'll just make a mention and be like, man, this thing is bleh, you know? Mm-hmm. And in this case, it was, uh, people who were making these really huge levels with tons and tons of intricate, uh, moving parts in them. It was taking something like. 20 or 30 seconds to to save these oh, yeah, that's way too long <laughs> yeah because because there's so much uh uh sort of crunching of numbers and compression that happens to make sure that the level sizes stay small that it just has to do a lot of like cross-checking from one item to another and if you have ten thousand items in your level that's a, that's a lot, lot of things. a lot of things yep. and so this this weekend i went through and i I went through that saving logic and found a whole crap load of ways to sort of pre-process things and optimize stuff. And I think I cut it down by on my test project. I had, I had one that was taking 12 seconds to save and I got it down to about like 0. 0.7. So yeah, I found some significant, improvement. I found some, some stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think with all of these things, without getting into the the technical side of it, there's always an, there's always an easy way to implement it, and then there's a best way, right? <laughs> well, not a best way, just a, a pretty good way. Yeah, uh, there's a best way for for how much time you have available, yeah. and um, and so we don't really prematurely optimize. And so, so really, all it comes down to is in Game Maker, they have this fantastic debugging tool that has a thing called the Profiler, and so you can run the game, and uh, you just like say start profiling, and it will 
it will record the CPU processing time of every single thing that happens oh. in your code. So you can Everything. see exactly where the problem yeah. is. Yeah, so you can see like, wow, this one script was called 39 million times in the last <laughs> 10 frames while nothing else was called mm. even 1% of that, right? Maybe I should speed that thing Yeah, so up. you can look and like say either – Either all I have to do is just like switch around something in an if statement in there and boom, I've cut off half the processing time, you know, Um, or I just figure out how to use that less, you know. And so I did the same thing in the the editor over the weekend. I found uh, that that people who had levels that had tons and tons of coins and portals in them, those levels were running really slow in the editor. And so I had a test project that was running at like 15 frames per second. And then I got it up to like 80 or 90 uh, just by, you know. Just switching a couple things. Stuff. Yeah. And so that, that that all comes down to that profiler. Um, so, yeah, just use that thing. So I won't like talk about the physics changes because mm-hmm. that's just too in the week. It's funny because I think the, the weekend work that like I tend to do is more so on maybe you keep tabs on go look at the discord and see what's going on. And then it's either design thinking or it's sort of this uh, marketing preparation stuff. And then on your side, it sounds like it's almost like weeding, right? Where it's like nothing needs to be done, but you kind of go in there and you're like, just kind of tidy up a little bit. Yeah. You know, just because it's fun stuff. You get a cup of coffee and just kind of sit down and do that. So it's an interesting way to uh, – you get some work done, but there's no need. Yeah. It's basically my yeah. my Saturday and Sunday mornings um, since we launched into early access has just been like, yeah, grab a cup of coffee, get some toast, and then just sit down for two or three hours and just kind of like just clean things up. Just poke around. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. uh, th- these are those kinds of problems that they don't break the game, but but they just suck. Yep. Like, like if, you're, <laughs> if you have to wait 30 seconds to save your level yeah, uh, while you make a giant level, then you're now dissuaded from making giant levels. Mm-hmm. And like, we want giant levels. They're yeah. awesome, you know? And so any, any little thing we can do to kind of just smooth that out. And those things add up like crazy. You yeah. know, like you do the, you do these kinds of optimizations, you know, a couple hours every weekend for six months. Uh, by the time you get to the end, it's running like, mm-hmm. like butter. Like a seal covered in butter. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Very right. bad at running. I, I was going to say, you know kid. how they run? <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, it depends. Downhill, very fast. Mm-hmm. Very, very fast. Yeah. Uh, next question comes from B. Scotch Christine. Hey. So we got one. Well, this one's coming. The call's coming from inside the house. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, who says, have any of you participated in an underwater basket weaving competition? Mm-hmm. Wait, so what is the underwater basket weaving isn't thing? That, isn't that some like – Joke. Yes. So, joke so I, I looked this up because I was like, I've heard this yes. referenced. So underwater basket. It's like mocking liberal arts education or something. Yes. Yeah. Underwater basket weaving is an imaginary degree that that mm. people who mock the idea of, uh, yeah. Of, of knowing more than one of thing. Of knowing lots of things. Yeah. Uh, uh, make about just like that, mm. that concept. So it's so if you say like, oh yeah, I got my degree in blood, they're like, oh yeah, did you also get a minor in underwater basket weaving? Like it's basically a way to say that the thing that you know is useless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know um, many useless things and I've participated <laughs> in many of them. Yeah. Now here's the thing. Mm. Uh knowing useless things is great because they do become useful. The, like they once do. you know enough useless things, now you have all kinds of crazy shit weird, that yeah. you can do. That's yeah. the weird problem. Uh so the other thing is it turns out that there when you weave baskets, depending on the material that you use, in yeah. some cases Underwater you do actually to do have to soak the reeds in water mm-hmm. to make them pliable. That makes yeah. sense. So this is kind of an ironic twist here because the joke was originally made as a way to like kind of poke fun at people who know mm-hmm. things. Unsurprisingly, it was made by ignorant people. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, so I don't think there are literal underwater basket weaving competitions. I'm sure, well, I'm sure someone has actually arranged one because it's, you know. I know. I, I actually, when I was I'm looking sure this up, happened. I saw, you know, like a picture of a scuba diver weaving a basket. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's awesome. I assume you would get more points for depth, like the deeper down you are. And the bigger the basket, obviously. Well, once you bring it up, because it would decompress and become huge, you know. Mm-hmm. That's how right. true, yeah. Uh, if you, what if you if weaved you it out of, uh, out of those swim noodles? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like a huge basket. Although, that, these are that. hard to keep underwater, though. They are. That's, but if you well, that's, that, where, that's why it's a sport. <laughs> you get extra points for that. And then when you rise it to the surface, of course, it's going to expand like crazy. If you bring it down real low, right, you get these tiny little noodles. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you bring a styrofoam noodle down to like mm-hmm. a thousand feet below the it surface. Just weave it just shit. turns into like a spaghetti noodle. Yeah. 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 Weave it together. Take it up. Boom. Boom. You got a giant basket. <laughs> does it, get, does it, get, it must get harder and harder to pull that thing down, right? 
Is that the further down you go? Yeah, I don't think so. Because there's like, because there's that neutral buoyancy idea, right? Which is like where, wherever, whatever kind of volume of air you got going for you right now, it's like you can bring that down. There's a certain level you just stick. Mm-hmm. Presumably, like the more you go down below that, like the harder it is to go down. Like, but the of, air is becoming more compressed, so it's losing presumably that presumably, but it's, so is but so is everything around it. You know what I mean? So right. Like, so is it just staying the same buoyancy? See, this is why you got to get a degree in underwater basketball. Yeah. We don't know. It's actually a complex problem. Yeah. What's the most useless thing that you know? The most useless thing that I well, or the, the thing or is, that you have been forced <laughs> to learn. But the thing in is some that, that uselessness is always context dependent. It is because, like, I, I'm really good at bipedding. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm also pretty good at taking ovaries out of flies. Uh huh. Yeah. Right? We've all been there. So uh, I'm not going to make use of that for literally the rest of my life. Yeah. But um, if you're doing cancer research, it's quite useful. It is useful. It's incredibly useful. Because yeah. you know that'd be a good sort of. Uh, switcheroo to do with the basket weaving thing just to be like oh do you have a degree in taking flyovers out you know yeah because it's equivalent the same sort of thing yeah yep. so in all cases the idea of the idea of mocking somebody for knowing things it generally is just going to kind of backfire <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just well yeah, like we talk about with reviews right it reveals more about you than about the thing that you're yes. trying to to review mm. or mock yes you know? yes so somebody gets a degree in something. Now, you, what you can say is that <clears throat> depending on where you go to school and how pricey your degree is, you may want to lean toward a field that will help you pay that down. Yes. Yeah. If you're viewing your college education as, a, an, investment, as an investment vehicle you know, into future income. Which is becoming less and less wise as time goes on, yes. just in the general sense. Right. Uh, so there is a fair commentary about that. Definitely. But, yeah. you know, just but, knowing But that's stuff, a different question. That's though. a different question. Yeah. All right. Next question comes from I am Cade. I lost my job recently and I'm now just filling out tons of applications online. Everything online seems disconnected to who I am as a worker. Mm. What do you think is the most important quality for an employee as an employer? And how do you find that out before you hire someone? Mm. That's so a hard for, one. for starters, sorry about losing your job. It's a yeah, bummer. It sucks. Yeah. You, sorry about it. Now you got to go through this crap. So mm-hmm. that sucks, but we'll help. Maybe. Here's here's the here's <laughs> the advice. Maybe. Uh, so as far as what I think that the interesting point about being disconnected from sort of who you actually are and what you actually are as a worker. The problem is that of course a person who you're going to spend like forty hours a week with being represented through like a few questions on a piece of paper, like you're just never going to get as an employer. Yeah. You can't get the thing right. You can't know actually a hundred percent what what's going to happen. Um, and I think about it kind of, I mean, in a sense, it's, you know, if you're, if you're on steam and you're looking around at games and stuff like that, most of the time, what you're looking for is reasons actually to not buy something. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there are so many games. There's so many games. So, uh, with most job applicants. Yes. Uh, most or, employers are looking for reasons to not hire you first and foremost. Yeah. So that's, that's the sort looking of for red flags. Yeah. Any red flags, whether that's. Or even oh. just orangish flags. Yeah. Also, we should be careful with flag colors cause they probably mean things with, in like soccer and stuff. Uh, those you know, are cards. Those are think. cards. That's yeah. true. We're good. Because yeah, I want to make sure if I said like yellow, I was like, is that actually worse or is that All right, better? Let's now? say let's say something that is bad as a stop sign. Okay. okay. That, that'll work. Yeah. So there's a lot of stop signs. Yeah. We're looking for stop signs. Yes. Be like, I'm gonna stop yeah. looking at this person's yeah. application. Anything is like also the more, yield signs. The higher the volume yeah. of, of applicants to a thing, the more the more re- intense and even silly those initial throwouts are. So there's like I've heard of companies where they literally look at a stack of applications and they'll just throw half of them away. Yep. You don't even look at them. Because yeah, they just need fewer applications. Yeah, we need fewer, <laughs> so you just chop in half, right? And they think, well, there is no perfect candidate. Yeah. That's, so never, I think that's not a thing. The real, so. the real trick when you're looking at anything that, that basically is you submitting an application uh, to get something, which is employment's one of those things. Uh, you know, us submitting our talks to like GDC is one of those things. Even us sending emails to press people, actually one of those things. Uh, you have to realize, you have to be very, very careful not to couple your couple your worth with the response. Because the reality is it very much is a numbers game. So the example we give is like we go do our GDC talks. We we used to submit one. That was as good as we could make it, right? And it would always be rejected. And it, it would always be rejected. So then we, started submitting, <laughs> we started submitting 11 at a time. And then mainly we got one of those in at least. Yeah. Each time and it was that. never the talks that we were like, oh, yeah, this will get in. Yeah. It was always like I'll just throw this extra one in there just in mm-hmm. case. And, and then they're like, yeah, that's the one. That's yeah. what we need. And so it is very much it's – a, it's a volume game. It's very random. And the 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 total volume of rejections you're going to get is always extremely high because, of course, yeah. you just need one on the success side for it all. Yes. Now, there's there's a couple of extra things too. So when I was when I was uh, 
going through an MBA program, we were coached very mm. thoroughly. So what I learned as I was going through the MBA program was that the whole point of it was to teach you how to interview and get jobs. Uh, yeah. Yep. Not, not, how like, to, not how to do the jobs. No, you just need to interview. You, you need to get in there. Yeah. It turns out that in a lot of cases, doing a good job at something is really just convincing people that you've done a good job at something. Yes. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so that's a lot of what you learn in like these upper level business schools. <laughs> and so um, there was a lot of commentary about uh, how to interview well, but also just how to like land the interview. And some of the advice they gave was things like, when you look at the the company that you're applying to, look at how they format things and look at how any kinds of documents you can see mm. uh, to see like what's their what's their font choices, like what kinds of things do they do to kind of like make something look like it's theirs, you know? Um, and you can do these kinds of subtle things like like if you if you have any kind of color on your resume for starters, like keep it minimalist generally. Mm-hmm. Um, but use the use the company colors, you know. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like just do those kinds of small things that make them think like I could see this person working here. Yeah. Yep. They know our font. It looks like they're to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So make it kind of look like it's like that dress for the job you mm-hmm. want, right? Um, and then the other thing was they said uh, nobody really gets hired on their merits because of the fact that when you get to those merits like, are invisible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not only that, but they're all the same. Yeah. Like yeah. If, if you have a stack of a thousand resumes and it's like, all right, here we have like a hundred people who all have high GPAs and et cetera, et cetera. Highly like five years, right. five plus years work experience. They all come with great recommendations from their supervisors and stuff. Well, you also know that it's, but again, when I say that they're, they're all the same because that none of it means anything. You actually, you actually can't tell if, if one person says I've got five years experience, that person says I got three years experience. You can't tell if those are actually different. Right. You can't tell. You don't know offhand if the five-year because one is better. what was in the experience. Yeah, because that's all that know? matters. So, so it literally is all invisible. There's yeah. just no way to know. And so the mistake that people tend to make is they f- they focus really hard on all those num- numbery qualifications. Mm-hmm. So how many years of experience, what your GPA was in college, um, like how much growth you brought to X previous company. Like you got to have those things so that you stay in the in the pool but the yeah, thing employers also like when they're when they're screening stuff they yeah, they, they, they just throw things out. away yeah. based on but the stuff. thing that they the thing that employers really hire on is do they think like would I like this person mm-hmm. yep. um and so that's where uh so when when we first moved to uh to St. Louis my wife was looking for work and she was fresh out of a master's program she was applying for months and months and months and couldn't land even even entry level jobs anywhere just because she didn't have those years of experience cuz she had just been doing school right um and then the the job she finally landed, she landed because she had included as one line item at the very end of her resume that she was a tennis player in college. And then the person was like, well, you know, ath- I feel like athletes are very yep. motivated and driven <laughs> and like the rest of it is sure, whatever. Like, yeah, OK, I guess you got a master's. Now, well, that was degree. all required to get in the door, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the but the thing that that set her apart from everybody else was that she was a collegiate tennis athlete. But, the thing, but it only set her apart in that specific context because that was – that was a person who was then who saw that as something that was valuable and interesting. Right. right. And so, so part of it is anything you can learn about the company's values, about what they profess to believe in terms of like what kinds of people they're looking for, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, you got to line up your application. Yeah, think about things in your life that you are interested in or that you do or that you've achieved or whatever and and include include a couple of those like personal personal interests. You know, I used personal. to – I included cheerleading on mine when I was graduating from school. Which always in every single interview I had, they were like, which you did have interviews because yeah, it they were like, tell us about that because it was one of the things people were like because I think my byline was something like uh, it was something along the lines of you know like maintained optimism in uh, in you know sort of like spinning it in the same sort of <laughs> right. resume speak, um, but people always found it very interesting that that was an included piece. And then there's lots of people who either did sports or actually were cheerleaders in tons of these organizations. And so they're like, yeah. oh, do you know how to do like a like a full lib? Can yeah. you do it with a partner stunning sort of thing? And I was like, yeah, I yeah. did that all the time. Because yeah, the, yeah, the, <laughs> so, the people who you're really applying to, to work with are not one-dimensional. Yeah. You know, like they have- They're not robots. They're they have people. other interests. And, and maybe mm-hmm. maybe it's uh, maybe it's that you're a member of uh, like a bowling league. You know, right. like what, whatever it is, like just put- Put those interesting things well, on, on that note, though, I think the, the biggest part of it is actually uh, alongside doing the applications and stuff, make sure you're actually going out and networking. You cannot yeah. you, you cannot speak highly enough of just the effect of knowing a lot of people and being sort of being a person who's been around in a way. So uh, St. Louis, there's a bunch of, of events literally weekly like Venture Cafe where it's just like 400, 500 people show up and you just 
chat about stuff. And there's tons of people there who run companies, tons of people who are looking for people to, to do stuff. And knowing someone, isn't it like 70% of jobs or something actually just get done through? Like they never actually get posted or something? It's hard to or, say, I mean, but it's a lot. It's some it's insane is, number it's like, like it's like under it's the table cash. Yeah, 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 you can't actually know. But I, I think the the one sort of cardinal sin that people commit when they're networking is is trying to connect with people over the fact that they need a job. Yeah. Which is ne- no there's there's no bigger turnoff yeah. for a conversation yeah. than and so, I've actually stopped going to some events because of that. Because right. like because like we don't even have any job positions open. We're not we don't want to hire anybody. We're not we're not doing any of that. Yep. And and the that's like the first question that somebody just asked is like Hey, can I have a job? Yeah. It's like I don't. I literally don't know you. Yeah, never, <laughs> I don't know what you're bringing. To, yeah. So, so actually, your your objective with this kind of thing is to, it's just to be a person, to be a person, make friends, and just connect with people. So Meet people where they're at. Yeah. So just mm-hmm. talk. You know, ask. And and if that's the kind of thing that makes you uncomfortable, it's just all, it's really just all about asking questions. Like, yeah. People love go, talking. About people themselves. love talking about themselves. So just go and just be like, "What do you do?" And they'd be like, "Oh, I do this." You make, "Oh, that's interesting." Tell me more about that. Mm-hmm. They're like, "Here I go." And then you just <laughs> kind of buckle had, in. Some of these, I've had a fifteen-minute conversation with someone where all I did was ask questions, and at the end of it, I could see there was a moment as before. I was like, "Well, I gotta go." So I'm gonna go where they realized that they had never. Asked I have you not. <laughs> I don't even know this person. I was like, "This is fine." Yep. You know. Yeah. Whatever. Um. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> people want to be people want to hire people who who they like being around, and they like being around people who let them talk about themselves all day, so. <laughs> and who have shared interests. Yeah, uh, and and who seem interested in the things that they're interested in, and that comes out when you ask people questions and stuff like that. So do the networking, you know, be sure to highlight those personal interests and stuff like that, and then it's volume. You just all volume. Yeah, don't, don't take those rejections personally because it's not personal. It's fine. Uh, all right, so th- I think that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. Uh, thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running, which is becoming more and more of a job yeah. as time goes on. Yeah, basically, I can't keep up anymore. Yeah. Uh, so to get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we've got uh, merch, links to the community Discord, a way for you to donate to the podcast, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.